I started coffee with humans as a way to make meaningful connections. See, I believe when people on individual journeys cross paths, real good can come from that. And in that sacred moment, we have the opportunity to do three things. Name reality and describe the future we want. Destroy things for our good by moving on from that which no longer serves us. Create or recreate ourselves, moving us to the reality we describe. That's the essence of coffee with humans, making the world a better place. One conversation at a time. Hey, we are live here with Coffee with Humans the day after Thanksgiving, which is, uh, I think most people go shopping is what I heard. But Jesse and I were like, no, we're not shopping. We are going to get on a video call. And I love your yellow tux, man. This is this is great. I, I know you're the yellow tux guy. I've watched your intros. I love the Savannah Bananas concept. And I was like, what do I put on? And so I just went for my t-shirt. <laughs> it, it, perfect. It fits you, my man. That's, <laughs> okay. That's good. Well, welcome to Coffee with Humans. This is excellent. It, excited to be with you. And actually hilarious because I've never had a sip of coffee in my life. So this is very good that I'm on a Coffee with Humans show. I'm, I'm fired up for this. What? Why? Yeah, so, no. Okay. We have Might to address this. Already? What, what's, the, what's the issue with coffee? Oh, no necessarily issue. I think my friends, my wife, everyone else knew if I had coffee, I'd be literally bouncing off the wall because I wake up with an outrageous <laughs> amount of energy. I'm wearing a yellow tux at eight in the morning. So <laughs> coffee would be dangerous for anyone else I interact with. Oh, I've never, I've just never had a sip. I just never got into it. I don't know. I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's really introspective of you. I had that is I had that issue a long time ago and realized that too much, too much regular coffee. I was I was angry with myself by the end of the day, like and people had already just like moved out. I was like parting the waters going through my day, getting so much done. Well, it's crazy. And, you know, the people there's people out there that say, uh, don't talk to me until I've had my cup of coffee. Like, really? I can't talk to you until you had your cup of coffee. Like, let's see. So I guess maybe I've just stayed away from it. But I am fired up to be coffee with humans because I'm going to try to bring the coffee energy this morning. <laughs> I'm you're you're this is good. I have my coffee. I have espresso. Yeah. Good. in my in my mug here water water so okay so talk to me savannah bananas i it's it's got a, it's this great ring to it and you've also got this yellow tux on walk me through this how did this occur where are you headed oh geez uh basically huge failure uh came into an industry 15 years ago and a team in gastonia and no one was watching the team. I mean, 200 fans coming to the games. My first day as GM, there was $268 in the bank account. And so it was bad. We had three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. Good luck to me. Uh, and I couldn't pay myself for months. And I guess I came into that later in my journey with Savannah where I couldn't pay myself and we ran out of money. But <laughs> the reality is we learned that we couldn't be in the baseball industry. We had to be dramatically different. And no matter what you do to ask that question, what business are you in, but what business are you really in? And when you look at the baseball industry, to many, it's long, slow, and boring. I'm the only owner in the country that will say that. It is too long. It is too slow. It is too boring. 
So we made it dramatically different. You know, our players do choreographed dances at our games. We have a breakdancing first base coach, a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas, a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. That's now referred to as the Dad Bod Cheerleading Squad. We play games in kilts. We give away colon cleansings, porta johns. We are a circus and a baseball game breaks out. And uh, fortunately, we've tried so much over the last 15 years to learn some things that work and some things that don't. And uh, we've kind of figured out a few things and it's been successful after you know, five years ago, having to sell my house, sleep on an airbed and down to our last dollar. So it's been a wild ride here in Savannah and we're having the time of our lives. Yeah, you are kind of an international phenomenon now, it seems. <laughs> We've been, well, I guess it started as uh, hated in our own community at first. You know, we sold really? an international phenomenon. We sold two tickets in our first three months and we overdrafted our account. We were completely out of money. And then we named the team Savannah Bananas. And everything we heard from locally was the owner should be thrown out of town. You guys are embarrassment to the city. This is the worst name ever. Leave our town now. So we were hated at first. And now, fortunately, it's caught on a little bit globally. Were you, were you really? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was brutal. It was it was brutal. I, I was nothing about Savannah. So what's the what's the what's the culture of of Savannah? Is it is it like a small hometown type of thing or is it the it, smallest it, big town? Where, where, where are you? I'm in Rockford, Illinois. I'm outside Chicago. Where are you based out of, Jason? Outside okay. Chicago. Um, yeah, Savannah, uh, a small city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Savannah is a small city. So uh, you know, three hundred thousand um, or so in the metro area. Um, Fourteen million tourists, um, but it's very. Um, you know, artsy, you know, unique, fun, a foodie town, an entertainment town. Um, but when things come in different, uh, they, they react. And at first they reacted very strong until they realized that, wow, this actually fits our community. This is different. This is unique. This is fun. But we were an outsider. We were crazy. You know, what were they thinking? And uh, now, finally, now every game sold out and there's a wait list for tickets in the thousands for every game. And it's just it's been wild. Wow. What do you so? So you were hated because you you had this concept of Savannah Bananas clearly because you called it Savannah Bananas. Were you were you out on a limb alone on that, or were, was your team behind you? How many <laughs> people joined you on that short that short walk off a pier? Well, let's put it perspective. We didn't name the team contest. We had a thousand suggestions. Only one was bananas. Only <laughs> one. And so when we, but we knew we had to be dramatically different. We were like, all right, our mascot could be split. We could do a music video, can't stop the peeling. We could have the banana nanas, our senior citizen dance team. We thought about all the opportunities to make it larger than life. I mean, Jason, we even sell Dolce and banana underwear. We put a giant banana on the crotch of tidy whities It sells year round like crazy. Um, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the small banana doesn't sell anymore. We don't sell that anymore. We, we got rid of that one. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, at first, I remember vividly five years ago when we did this, we, our whole team got together and said, all right, we're going to practice for two days on how people are going to respond to this name. And we actually went through training and coaching on, you know, people, bat the backlash against it. We knew it was going to happen, yeah. but we also knew we had to do that. We sold two tickets the first three months. We had no attention. If you want to get the hearts of your customers, you first have to get their eyes and their ears. We were marketing like everyone else and getting results much worse than everyone else. So we had to go dramatically different. We knew that. And we knew we were going to get backlash. But once we got that attention, they could finally say, you know what? Wait, these guys are crazy. They, 
every single ticket is all inclusive at their ballpark. You get all your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your dessert. They have a banana baby before game where they lift up a baby and sing, nah, Savannah, nah. Like these guys <laughs> are fun, but we had to get the attention first. That's okay. I like that idea. So you, your, your attention and being hated are the kind of the same thing. Cause whether it's hate, whether they love you or they hate you, it's still attention. And then you have the opportunity to do something with it. Yeah. If you're not getting criticized, you're not doing anything. Like, think about that. If we're playing it so safe, then you're doing okay, but you haven't created enough buzz to do something different. Jeff Bezos said it best. He said, you have to be willing to be misunderstood. Yeah. Everything they've done was a misunderstood at first. Everything. <laughs> and now we're like, I mean, think about this 15 years ago to say, you know, I want this black cylinder thing in my kitchen that looks like a Pringles box, but it's black <laughs> and it listens to every single thing we say. And, and we literally tell it to do everything. People have been like, you are absolutely crazy. But I think you have to have that forward thinking to say, you know what, we'll be criticized at first and then it'll take time to people understand what we're trying to do. And I think now people understand we're not a baseball team. It's a circus and a baseball game may break out. And if you're a traditional baseball fan, you will not like our games. And we're okay with that. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree with you. And you think you probably are the only baseball team owner who would say, listen, we're too long and we're boring. It, it, but it's, I think it's one of those things you have to survive with the times. Yes. Right? You have to be able to shift and trans, translate whatever it is you're trying to do into whatever the audience wants. Yeah. Go where your customers are going. Wayne Gretzky said it best. I don't go to where the puck is. I go where the puck's going to be. Right. And so, you know, baseball is probably the most traditional. I mean, it started in 1800s. And the game hasn't really changed. It's only gotten worse. It's got longer. You know, whatever industry you're in, even podcasting, even these new industries that have popped up over the last 10 years. Yeah. What are those frustration points? What are those friction points? What are those things that people don't like about it? And do the exact opposite. And that's what we're trying to battle every single day with the game of baseball and the experience. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So talk to me. Who's on? Who's on the? Who's on the uh, idea generation team here at the Savannah Bananas? Is everybody? Everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah. I, you build that into your culture. So we interviewed everyone on our staff, and we said who should not work for our company, and everyone said the same answer: people that can't deal with change. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of our core beliefs, part of our, I mean, literally our company is named Fans First Entertainment. Our mission is fans first, entertain always. Every decision we make is it fans first. So if you're not inventing on behalf of your fans and come up with new ideas to entertain, then you're failing. So like, give an example. Yes, it starts here. Like this is an idea book. I, I, I write 10 ideas every single day. And then we have an idea box at our stadium where we have idea paloozas, where we come up with a question or something we want to solve for our fans have drinks, have food, have fun, and just throw out ridiculous ideas. And some of the best ideas come from those idea paloozas because that's our culture. What are we doing to experiment, to test new things? And a lot of things, Jason, out of these, probably 90% of them are terrible, terrible ideas. And a lot of them will fail, but there might be a few hits. And that's where we have the magic. Absolutely. And I think though, it's the, even the experimenting around with the failures leads to this feeling that something's new. It's like, it's like uh, you can have the same house, but as soon as you repaint it, people are like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so unique and amazing and different. It's like, no, it's really not. It's a different color. Yes. <laughs> well, well, there's so many ways to look at anything you do just to change it a little bit. Like one little thing. Like, I mean, when people buy a ticket from us, they get a video that's sent and it says, congrats, 
You just made the best decision of your day. Right now, as your ticket order came in, a high-priority siren went off at our stadium, and our Bananiacs rushed to the ticket laboratory to produce your tickets. And then a banana nana slowly walked in and hand-selected your tickets and placed them on a silk pillow. We raised the silk pillow up to the air and sang, Nah, Savannah, to celebrate the birth of a new fan. And then we walked our tickets down to our vault underneath our stadium, where they're now watched in maximum security, ready for you to go bananas. Like, <laughs> that was just an idea. And we said... Right. Uh, like, let's just try it. And we filmed the video and now fans will respond back like, what is happening at your stadium? I'm like, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. But it's, it's, are you willing to have fun with those little things? You know, if people yeah. bought tickets and got a payment confirmation, why does it have to be the same? Why do invoices have to be the same? Why does your voicemail have to be the same? Question right. everything. And that's yeah. what we do. And it started not like this. It's years and years of iteration, but that's how you come up with those ideas. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I totally agree. I talked with the, and this is not quite as fun as what you're doing, but I talked with a yard yard care company and I asked him at one point in time, I was like, why does it cost, what, what's it cost to mow a lawn? He's like 35 bucks ish. And I was like, okay, why? And he was like, well, that's, I don't know. It's what it is. I'm like, you own the company. Why is it 35 bucks? It's like, I, it means what other people charge. And I was like, hold on a minute. What are we doing here? <laughs> like, well, what are our costs? I don't know. What would the market bear? I don't know. Get, get out of your industry. See, that's, that's the thing, you know, Everyone says, oh, I want to be the, 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 best, the best in the industry, the best in the business, the, you know, the, best practice, the best practices. Now, focus on next practices right. and focus on next practices. You have to get out of your industry. We got the all-inclusive model, not from sports. We went on a cruise. We took our company on a cruise and we were like, this is awesome. All your food's included. All your entertainment's included. If you want booze, if you want premium items, buy it. But you feel like you're taking advantage of the cruise ship. I want our customers and our fans to feel like they're taking advantage of us every time they walk in the ballpark. And because of that, our our uh, per caps in our stadium, what our people are spending is skyrocketing because they feel like, oh, I'm taking advantage of guys. I got to buy a shirt. I got to buy a beer. I got to buy a slippery banana, a banana beer, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's part of our business model. Well, you focused on uh, I, your, your company name, Fans First Entertainment, right? Yes. Yeah. And isn't that the principle that people will pay a lot for entertainment? They'll pay less. People will pay more for entertainment than they ever will for education. And if you want to engage, if you want to engage the masses, entertain them first. Yeah. And then you have the opportunity to educate. I mean, so you're out here speaking really profound business principles. You use Jeff Bezos, you use Dwayne Gretzky, right? But you're walking around in a banana suit. Yes. And and that's because you understand the idea of engaging people that we we by and large are just habitual, we're habitual individuals making oh. profound decisions out of habit sometimes. And all of a sudden something goes, what is that? And as soon as you get that, what is that? Then you have the opportunity to engage like this, like a sideshow, right? Well, it's, it's, it's uh, Seth Godin says it best. He goes, uh, what's the definition of remarkable? Are people willing to remark about your product and experience? And so to make something remarkable, you have to be doing something remarkable. Like it's very, very simple. So like, I, I know I'm misunderstood every day. People are like, this guy is a crazy egocentric guy who's just all about himself. No, it's just to have fun and amplify. Right. And, this is, and, and my biggest mentor is P.T. Barnum. What yeah. would P.T. Barnum do? P.T. Barnum wouldn't be dressed like everyone else. He wouldn't be doing the same things as everyone else. So, yeah, I think you have to entertain and you have to think about as your business. Number one, how are you trying to make people feel? You know, it, it's very, very simple for us. We want to make people feel like they are having dancing in the middle of the game and like I can't believe I'm dancing right now with all 4,000 people like we want to get you out of that element 
So you can actually walk out like, I did something I don't normally do. And I have to live that every day. If I'm not willing to dress up like this crazy guy in a yellow tuxedo and be on the, in the stadium pieing fans and dancing and singing, why should I expect our fans to do it? Absolutely. So if you're leading a company, you have to embody the way you want your customers to feel. And that is so important. That's why I wear this is for our employees, for everybody. I'm like, I'm going to be fun because I want you to be fun as well. Yeah. Well, you make a splash. Jeff Peterson, our, our buddy from uh, Wisconsin area, uh, he says, Jesse Cole is the bomb diggity. And Jeff has the sort of same energy as you. Well, Jeff. So where did this energy come from? Where, what, what is in you? What's, what's deep down in your soul? Not coffee. I know it's not coffee. <laughs> uh, I, you know, 15 years ago, I really wouldn't have known that answer. But after, you know, a lot more of these sessions and, and talking and sharing, I've learned it's pretty simple. When I first started out, Jason, I did everything in the business. I mean, I was in the concession stand. I was picking up trash. I was putting up signs at the stadium, which, by the way, I am the worst operations person. Like, if we have to put together something, like, at the stadium, it might take me a week to do it, or it takes someone, like, an hour. I am the worst. But I was doing all these things. At the end of the day, I was exhausted. I was tired. It's like, man, I was running just doing hundreds of things. It wasn't until probably two years ago I started looking at my calendar. I started looking, what days at the end of the day do I feel energized, and I want to keep going? I want to do more. And I started realizing in my calendar that there were certain things that gave me energy and the certain things that took energy away. It sounds simple, but it's like, oh, do what you like to do. No, no, it goes a little further. Do what brings you energy. And so what I started doing is realizing there were three, three categories that give me the most energy. Creating, sharing, and growing. And so to give you an example, right now, I am sharing. I'm telling about what we're doing. I'm talking about things that fire me up. I'm creating because we're creating some new value, education, entertainment, and I'm growing because I'm learning from you and learning from some of these things that we talk about. This is the trifecta. At eight o'clock in the morning right now, I have a ton of energy and I've got three more of these today and I'm fired up to do them. When I'm, when I'm coming up with video ideas, like new dance videos, music videos, when I'm writing ideas like why aren't like today, like we should be doing pregame weigh-ins before our games, literally have a scale at home plate, bring out a player from the visiting team, do a pre <laughs> then, then, then we should have the Kentucky Derby trumpet at, at the mound go, dun, 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 and like, we should take the, all these ideas from other sports and kick off games. That's creating to me, and we're gonna do these, that fires me up. So at the end of today, today, I'm gonna be unbelievably, amazingly fired up of energy because I'm not doing finance stuff and details and fixing things at the ballpark. So how do you get energy? Do things that energize you. That's been the simplest mindset for me, and it's worked really well. Okay, <laughs> you're you you have. <laughs> I, I this is really interesting. I I am thrilled to be speaking with you. Your your introspection, you mentioned earlier. You felt that people thought, well, he made this guy self-absorbed. He's high at himself. It's all about him. That's why he's out in in the big yellow suit. I never got that impression from you. I never thought, you know what, this is all about him. I thought this is just a guy who's out there trying to have maximum fun to demonstrate that it's okay for everybody else who thought it wasn't okay to have maximum fun, that it actually is. Just let's have fun with this thing. And then maybe let's call it baseball. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. And I think the key is, and the hardest thing to do is, is to not really care when people criticize you and care what they think. But I mean, it's, it's still a dagger, especially when you feel like the baby. But yeah, probably less people, I think, think that like, oh, this guy's a crazy, self-absorbed, egocentric person. But I know there are some out there. 
But the reality is I'm still going to do it. The question is, are you willing to do what you think is right, even when people will say it's not right for them and they will criticize it because they are not comfortable with it. And so for me, it works. Not, I've never seen another person in a yellow tuxedo, so I know it doesn't work Neither for I. people. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I. So you said, you said your, uh, your mentor or the person you look up to is P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Why? Yeah. What were the principles that P.T. Barnum embodied that you take? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I got in my, in my office at the stadium a, a poster of him, and it says showmanship. Something terrible happens without promotion. Nothing. And when people look at P.T. Barnum, I'm glad the movie was made. And people ask, what do you think of the movie, Jesse? Greatest Showman. Was it all true? I go, of course not. But that's exactly how P.T. Barnum would have done it. He would do whatever he could to put on a great show and make people feel good. And I think what I learned from P.T. Barnum was that he was so obsessed with actually making people happy. He said the noblest art of anything is to make people happy. That was his quote. He was obsessed with child laughter. People talk about the sucker born every minute. He never said that. I've read every book on P.T. Barnum. He never said the sucker is born every minute. It was actually his biggest rival who put it, said he said it so that it would make him look bad. But the reality is he was obsessed with making people happy and he would do anything to get the attention to be, do something big over the top while putting an elephant in his front yard in front of his museum because railroad cars were going by so they could draw the attention to his museum. He had the worst band. He hired literally the worst <laughs> band in New York City. They were terrible. They couldn't play. Like they were not musicians. And he put them on the banister on the uh, or on the uh, patio outside of his museum, playing so bad. And he would say, "What do you expect to get for free? Come on, si come in inside. You don't need to hear them anymore." Like he would <laughs> use that as a way to create attention. Um, he he was brilliant. And I think uh, from him and then Walt Disney, my next biggest, uh, I really learned the power of uh, being so unbelievably. Uh, obsessed and believe in what you do and are willing to do anything to make sure people can see it and hear it and feel it. And I think P.T. Barnum believed in what he was doing more than anybody. And he was willing to have the courage to stand out and do things differently to get that attention. Yeah. So you're, you're taking those principles and embodying them for yourself first and then leading the Savannah Bananas. Where, where did the Savannah Bananas head? Are you, so you're in, you're in Savannah, Georgia. Yes. Are you, are you, is this a, is this a franchisable thing? Like, what are you doing? Where, yeah, where, I, 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 I said a lot in, in uh, your book of probably thousands of ideas. Now, if you're writing 10 of them a day in a little <laughs> journal there, <laughs> well, I have the journal, too. the journal is more long form. The ideas are, I've had ideas. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, in going to the same conversation, we have, what would PT Barnum do? And what would Walt Disney do? I think we have a moral obligation to bring our show to more people. And so what does that look like? And I'll share this. This is a uh, two, two stories from this past year. We played during the pandemic. Uh, we got we worked, we worked for three months. Again, our own mindset, find a way. When I was sleeping on an airbed five years ago, find a way. And we played, we said we were gonna play. I, I told our staff in, on March 13th, I go, guys, we're gonna play this season. I don't know when it's gonna be, but we're gonna play. And you're never gonna forget that moment on, on opening night when we play. And yes, it'll be a different capacity, but not one person's gonna sing the national anthem. Every single person in the stadium is gonna sing the national anthem. The players, the staff, the fans, and it's gonna be one of the most powerful moments you've ever been a part of. So let's get up and let's make it happen. And that happened, I'll never forget it. It was a very special moment. And on the second game, uh, a young man came up to me with his wife and he goes, thank you guys so much. I go, oh, I appreciate it, thanks man. He goes, no, no, like, thank you. And I go, well, what? He goes, well, I'm here with my three kids. Um, we came to a game three years ago. We got tickets from a scalper, which is hilarious for me. We came to a game. We had so much fun. 
we drove 40 hours from Utah to come to this game, <laughs> drive back tomorrow. And it was everything we could hope for, for our family. And I'm sitting there, I tell our team that I go, guys, yes, we have people coming from different countries and travel this, but someone just drove 40 hours for a three hour experience and they're driving back tomorrow morning. How dare we don't try to bring this to more people, right? We are selfish if we keep this to ourselves. And so that put us on a huge path this past summer where we got together as a leadership team and created our vision, our five-year vision. And we actually put it out to the world because we want to hold ourselves accountable. And, uh, you know, we're going to become a 24-7, 365 brand. Most sports teams become irrelevant for six months of the year, nine months of the year. We're going to be playing games year round. We're going to be taking the show on the road, you know, and we already announced it. So literally, we just had a game on November 13th, the Bananas versus the Pilgrims. We didn't even know who the players were. We just announced it. It sold out half capacity, 2,000 tickets and 24 hours. And we played a game. We had to figure out who we're going to play. We, you know, don't know the how, just announce where and what you're going to do. And we had, the, you know, we threw out the first rock. It was called Plymouth Rock. And we actually stupidly starved our fans for the first 66 minutes. I heard about that. <laughs> yes. What were we thinking? Um, yeah, to honor the, uh, the 66 day uh, journey of the pilgrims and then have a joyous feast. Well, let's put it this way. Our concessions was not ready for that. We had plenty of rations like bread and candy corn and whatever, but we learned. Anyways, we did that and some failed, some worked. And then we announced the One City World Tour, and we, which is ridiculous in itself, but we're doing a One City World Tour in the spring. And we heard from a thousand people, heard from 300 cities, 15 countries, and we chose one city. And we announced that city about three weeks ago. And we got a wait list now of over a thousand people to potentially buy tickets for that one city world tour. That's the start. We're doing a small bet and then we'll expand that uh, hopefully to many cities. Maybe we'll end up in Rockford one day. You totally should. We have a suffering <laughs> baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed hands and it's suffering. But uh, for the, it's uh, suffering for the very reasons that yeah. you say that baseball suffers. There's a yeah. there's a there's a there's yeah. a finite well, number of yeah. people who care about baseball and it seems to be uh, getting shorter. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's what got you here won't get you there. You know, all these baseball teams, you know, oh, if we win more games, we'll get more fans. Well, yeah, maybe for a little bit, you know, it's a playing the wrong game. But yeah, I, I'm familiar with the Rockford team. There's lots of teams, but hopefully we'll be able to spread it. And in five, 10 years, we'll be playing all over and bringing the show. And I mean, we're bringing our, our full pep band, our banana nanas, our breakdancing first base coach. Right now, I'm actually in the process of training an umpire, actually training a breakdancing, unbelievable hip hop dancer to be an umpire. All right. Like we're trying to literally change every part of the experience and while being a real competitive game. The, we don't know if the bananas are going to win. That's what makes it different than the Globetrotters. It's going to be a competitive game, but we're bringing the full show. And that's I mean, it's we're bringing 70, 80 people. The, the economics don't make sense at all. No. I mean, it it, but uh, Brian Chesky said it back from Airbnb. He goes, you got to first uh, do the unscalable to be able to scale. And he went in and took pictures of all the apartments in San Francisco to make it a high quality picture to start selling. That's unscalable to have a founder taking pictures right. of the Airbnb homes. It's unscalable right now for us to do what we're doing, but we're going to get so good and try to create love, get people that love us, and then be able to scale from there. And that's that's kind of the mindset. So how do you measure success in each of these individual operational items? And in your self-professed, not a good operations guy, yes. uh, which is totally fine. I'm not either. And so we, we have kindred spirits here. The, how do you measure success though, when you're trying all these new crazy things, how do you know whether it went well or not? Are you just measuring the end of the day, this big bucket of did people like this or did they not like this? Or do you get down into the finite details of, 
individual, you know, how many hot dogs did we sell and were we profitable on them? You know, what's interesting, I guess we don't even really talk about measuring success. That's probably an area where we can get a lot better. Um, I, I would say every single thing we do is a, an element of successful. And what I mean by that is um, by failing the other day and not being able to feed our fans and miserable, that was a success because now we're changing our operation and how we're serving. This past summer, we got a review and I'll never forget it. I, I printed it out. Um, it said, uh, the all you can eat is a great deal only when the food is edible. And it showed a picture. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was great. It was like, the first, it was brutal. And I printed it out and it was a picture. I go, oh, that burger looks terrible. And Kara, our marketing director says, uh, Jesse, that's not a burger, that's a chicken sandwich. I go, oh my God, that's a chicken sandwich? I go, what happened here? And we had a transfer in uh, director of operations to a new food and operations. I showed him, I go, what happened? And he said, well, that one actually got cooked twice because we were trying to move some things around. And I, I go, cooked twice? And I go, he goes, this will never, ever happen again. The next game, our entire cooking system was changed. And uh, so now we messed up on the food and bev again on November 13th for our, our Thanksgiving game. So on our staff chat, we said, all right, guys, we have an award we want to give out today. This is award sharing. The way we did in the past is not going to cut it anymore. The winner of today's burnt chicken award is Jonathan. And we gave a, the, the burnt chicken picture with the edible quote on it. And we gave it and we celebrated that is a success to us because I know next time we'll be better. So um, yes, you can measure success. Every game sold out. You know, we have a wait list for tickets and thousands. We're profitable. Um, but I don't want to get carried away on the numbers. I, I guess I just want to get carried away on the idea of doing things to create a better experience and the numbers will take care of themselves. And so that's a political answer. I know. But I think when you get carried away looking at quarterly numbers and short-term metrics, um, you're not going to be best for your fans. You're going to be focused on what's best for you. And I think we need to be focused on what's best for our fans. No, I think that's a really great, I think that's a really great concept. When you focus on success for you, I think what you're saying is not, it's not that it's not that that's not important, but sometimes the success metrics for an organization are contradictory to the success metrics for the customers. hundred percent. We got rid of sponsorship advertising at our games. Like what is wrong with us on February 25th? Right, two weeks before the pandemic, we said, let's throw away hundreds of thousands of dollars. That would be a smart move. And we announced the only ad free ballpark. Like, Washington Post wrote a nice, nice review on it, but other people were like, what is wrong with you? People in the industry are like, we really hate you guys now. Like, what are you doing? And short term, it didn't make any sense. Why would we throw away that? But the reality is, I don't believe not one fan comes into our ballpark and says, I want to be advertised to, I want to be marketed to, I want to be sold to. Every fan comes in and wants to have an escape of fun and be able to have a great time. And what happens is most teams that have 50, 60, 70% of their revenue is advertising. Who do they work for? They work for their advertisers, their corporate sponsors. So if their sponsors want more announcements during the games, more silly giveaways that no one wants, that goes against the fan experience. Right. So we did the opposite. And we played the long game, which in the first year, the numbers didn't work out. But next year, the year after, I guarantee they will. No, no, that's a really good point. Isn't that the Disney model, right? Where you enter the walled gardens of Disney and all of a sudden everything's amazing all the time. And even down to, and I think this is a, uh, something I read a long time ago, you know, why, why in this big, vast park system with food and stuff everywhere, why do you not see any you know, like mice or rodents? And it's they've got feral cats that they allow out at night that clean everything up and then the, the cats go away. And it's like, who came up with that concept? 
to just let nature kind of take its course. But they're, but yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Or the or the uh, or the tunnel system yes. underneath Disney, so that they can move all the things that they need to move. The thousands of employees, or in some case tens of thousands of employees throughout a day, they can move all of those people and all the stuff to exactly where it needs to be. So you never see people stocking shelves. You never see people moving carts or the or trash or food. You know, it, even even the uh, the people who collect the trash, they're they're constantly walking around collecting all the litter off the ground because it's not like people magically stopped littering in Disney. Yeah. But they but they specifically have them all wearing white because they did studies and they found out that white just goes away in your view in, in your field of view. Yes, people won't pay attention to it. Everything they do, and what I love about Disney is that everything starts, uh, the starting point of all their innovation is what is a friction point for our customers, for our guests, as they would say. And one of the biggest innovations, and we, again, timing's hilarious. Um, so we surprised our health team with a trip to Disney uh, the first week of March this past year. And so we said, let's spend thousands of dollars surprising our team and then go to zero revenue for the next two months. So we took our whole team to Disney as an idea of, you know, what can we learn from outside of our industry? Yeah. And the best innovation, one of the things I've ever seen, this, the, I used to, I was wearing it for months, the, uh, the magic, uh, the fast magic pass. Oh, yeah. Know, the wristband, yeah, the watch almost looks like. Um, brilliant. It started because of all the friction of the lines that to get in and you got to do this, the tickets and everything else and getting in places. And it took long. And they said, you know what? We're going to use technology to create a faster, better experience. And I was blown away. I mean, just boom, put this up, pay for it. Boom, put this up, walk here. Boom, fast pass. I mean, it, it, it speeded up the experience so much because it started with a friction point. Someone didn't say, hey, let's just come up with this magic pass. They said, what are the friction points in the experience? How do we make it better? That's where all innovation starts. The same thing with us. I think getting nickel and dime to the ballpark and pulling out a wallet to pay for every drink, every burger, every hot dog is a friction point. So we it's what everybody talks about. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider of the baseball industry or basketball for that matter. And it is the thing that people talk about. You go to the, you're like, I'm going to go to this game. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to pay for concessions or going to the movie theater. It's like, I bought this movie, you know, ticket for a movie. And then it's like, and I'm going to have to drop 50 bucks on popcorn. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's it's the the oh, what else? It's the what else? It's the yeah. reason why you know we don't have any ticket fees or any convenience fees, as, which are the most inconvenient fees in the world. An eighteen dollar ticket includes all your food, and there's no extra cost. There's no parking cost. There's no extra fees. And the same thing, like we did this change last year, and this threw away thousands of dollars too. Yeah, I sound like a great business person. Let's keep throwing away thousands of dollars. No, but I think it's a good principle because uh, because people lose sight. Uh, as, a, as a small business owner, and I've I've started and run and sold businesses, and I've worked with hundreds or maybe thousand business owners at this point in time. But one of the things is people get afraid. The one yeah. of the things that people are sorry that gets people in a, in a mode of making bad decisions is they look at the short term and they go, oh, my God, maximum fear. And then worse decisions start happening. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And so what our fear was... So I was looking at our, our website and a $24 shirt is $30 because you pay $6 for shipping. And I go, everybody does it. And I looked and I said, that's wrong. I go, a $24 shirt, a $22 shirt, a $25 shirt should be $25, should be $22, should be $24. You shouldn't have that extra at the end. Oh, here's the extra fee. So we looked at our numbers and we said, all right, how much did we do in shipping? And it was thousands of dollars, but it was only a few percent of our total merchandise revenue. So we said, let's end it. And so now anytime year round, it's free shipping always. And you know, that's one in the long run because the people are ordering more. They're they're like, hey, these guys are transparent. And so that decision's a no-brainer. But you tell me one company that's doing free shipping always and forever, you might say Amazon. I go, no, you pay a hundred dollars for Prime. 
because they're afraid of the extra cost. They're not afraid of actually building more fans who will buy more and will refer you to more and who have a better experience. So being, being a creator, you're, you're on the end of creation, uh, or I think on the extremes. You've got kind of maybe creationism, you got protectionism on the other side. How do you balance against protect, or how do you balance or work towards protecting experience? Or do you even think of that at this point in time? Is it just about creation? Great question. What about you? Oh, don't turn this around on me. Stop it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'll, I'll, I'll go into my answer, but I'm intrigued because it's a great question. I tend to be, and the reason I ask this, it's a little bit selfish. I tend to be on the end of protection. I, I look at creation, but then I immediately go into, but what if, what if, and then I go to a little bit of fear for me. And yeah. it's just the way it, it's, it's kind of the way I'm wired, which I have to fight against. Like you put yourself out there, you're in the big yellow tux and that type of stuff, which I admire. Uh, and I have historically had a hard time doing that be, because of fear. Yeah. It makes sense. And I think we have, I, I have fear as well. Um, but when you do so many small bets, that fear goes away. For me, for just individually, I started wearing the tuxedo at our baseball games. And then I started getting asked to wear it to speeches. And then I started wearing it every day. And then I started wearing it at airports on the way to a speech. It was that, you know, I kept going to that deeper, that, that deeper pool, going from the pool to the, the lake to the ocean. And so once you do those small bets, it makes it easier. But I, I think protection is a dangerous word. Okay. I, I think Sears tried to protect themselves. I think Toys R Us tried to protect themselves. I think Radio Shack, keep going. Sports yeah. Authority, Blockbuster, Blockbuster, 5,000% tried to protect themselves. This was our company. This is our core. This is where all our revenue is from. Let's keep doing that. One company that hasn't tried to protect itself is you know Amazon, Netflix. Netflix almost went under when they switched the company because they knew where it was going to streaming. Yeah, They were early. So uh, protect, I get very, very nervous about. Even just the idea of playing defense. I think you win by playing offense, especially nowadays. So one of the great companies, uh, 3M, you know, who invented scotch tape and post-it notes, you know, they have the 25% uh, rule, which says 25% of their revenue must become, come from something brand new that's been developed over the last five years. It's now 30%. They moved it to 30%. So think about that in your business. If every five years you're having 25% of new revenue from a, a, a product or experience that never existed five years ago, you're not in the protection mode. You're in the evolution mode, the changing mode, the innovation mode. And so that's what we think about. Um, and so I'm really much more interested in innovation, reinvention. I think you need to always not protect your core. You need to understand your core. We are not going to be the best baseball team, but can we create the best show in sports? That is our, that is our sweet spot. But can that expand? And that's what we're going to do. Right now, we have zero revenue coming from playing in other cities. That will be more than 25% over the next five years. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, so as a protectionist sort of guy, I look at it and think, okay, how do you protect the brand and the, protect the experience as you attempt to scale? Yeah. Because I think it works probably really well in this sort of small, uh, let's say the small business atmosphere, yeah. right? And I'm wondering, I, I think there's risk. 100%. Because it's so because it's so close to you, I feel like, or your personality and your ability to lead the charge, I feel like there's a lot of risk in scaling. Yes, 100%. And I think there's a risk in also doing too much. 
Starbucks, Starbucks suffered dramatically when they unveiled so many new things that they got away from their core of making great coffee. McDonald's did the same thing in the 2000s where they had hundreds of products. So you need to understand, again, what is your sweet spot, but you need to innovate around your sweet spot. And so you're right. Uh, is it a fear that I haven't built that in our team? I hope so. I hope I'm able to build it where they think that way constantly. And, and I'm asking every day, what are we experimenting with this game? What are we experimenting this week? What are we experimenting with this month, this quarter? Because Jeff Bezos said it better. Our success is a function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Our success is based on that. So I think that's a good person to look up to and listen to on based on their experiments. And so I'm trying to build that into our culture. Yeah, totally. And it seems to me also, as we're closing down here, it seems to me also that one of the lessons I think people can take away uh, from you is the hands-on aspect of being an owner. You are hands-on, not necessarily in the operations of you know making sure that every T gets crossed and every I dotted, However, you're hands-on in understanding the customer experience. I think that's where your where your sweet spot is. You are right in there as with the eyes and ears and view of a customer, saying how do we how do we maintain our 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 identity in in and uh, what sets you apart, which is your you're about fan experience. So you're always thinking about fan experience as the owner, and you're touching each one of those things. I mean, you've got the you've got the book sitting in front of you, and as much as you as much as the people who you work with uh, are, uh, they care about it as well. My guess is they don't all have books that they're walking around with writing ten ideas a day. <laughs> no, and certainly not. Obviously, this is something I and you wouldn't expect it. No, and that's fine. Um, you have to set you have to set the model on a daily basis. And you have to actually set, um, I hate the word processes, but systems that share what matters most to you. So for instance, you said being hands-on. We started a system three years ago called Undercover Fan. And every night, one of us on our staff goes undercover. We park with the fans. We walk in with the fans. We sit with the fans. We eat with the fans. We go to the bathroom. Not with the fans, but we go into the bathroom. We have an entire experience. And at the end of the night, where we talk about our fans' first moments, we go through and share those notes. We probably have 100 pages of notes over that. And this past year, again, we look at everyone as fans. So even our, our uh, inner people, our teammates, our staff members as fans. We did frontline fan. And I actually worked a register in the main concession stand for a whole night without the yellow tux. They called, I got given a name tag by our employee experience coordinator. I was Toby. I was Toby for the night. And I went through the whole experience. If you really want to deliver a great experience for your customers and your people, you have to put yourself in their shoes. And those two experiences that we do now, everyone on our staff does, we are able to have that empathy and understanding to really make a difference. And so I would question anybody that listening, even if you just run podcasts or do, have you ever gone through and listened to your whole podcast with looking at friction points, challenges? Ooh, what do you not like? Are you going to question even the things that hurt? And once right. you do that, then you can make the biggest impact. And that's when you really show that you care about the people that matter most. Yeah. Well, that is a great... That is a great way to end this. I think it's fantastic. I I admire what you're doing. I thank you also, this is very selfish of me, but I thank you for changing the sport of baseball into something that might be might be worth my time. I and I I grew up loving I grew up with baseball. I like the Chicago Cubs. I'm a I'm a Cubs fan. I like football as well, but I go there for this this just me. 
I watch these things purely for the social aspect of it. It's not the game. Yeah. I I mean the game is cool, but I'm in there for the I'm in there for the spirit of sitting with thousands of people I don't know or tens of thousands of people I don't know with some people I do know and just getting away, just getting out of my normal element. That's why I'm there. That's why I would sit down in front of a television and watch it as well, just for purely the other people in the room. That's you, why I watch any sport. You want to feel like you're a part of something. And yeah. I think such an important thing to think about on sports or whatever. How do you make people feel like they belong and they're a part of something? You win when you do that. And it's not about how many wins the team has or how many hits the hitter has. It's about making them feel fun and that they're a part of something. So yeah. on. thanks for sharing that because I think I always need to remind myself of that every single day. Yeah. Well, Jesse, this has been fantastic. Thanks for sharing your uh, Friday after Thanksgiving morning uh, uh, with me. And the other people are going to talk, but instead of going out shopping, I'll tell you, Jason, this was the best coffee I've ever had in the morning. So I'm so glad I was able to have some coffee with you. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a second one uh, just uh, just because you won't. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. Hang on just a second as we close. Thanks, everybody, for watching. One of the things I love about Coffee with Humans are the raw conversations I get to have meeting new people just like you. If you or someone you know should be on Coffee with Humans, go to coffeewithhumans.com. Remember, the only rule is no sales calls. This has been Coffee with Humans. Subscribe to get updates or click to have coffee with me. Coffeewithhumans.com.